Welcome to Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. I'm your host, Dave West, codename Phantom Troublemaker. And I am your co-host, Noel Wood, codename Crapshoot. And I am your Cobra intern that's trying to figure out the formula for Cobra Soda, codename Legion Cub. And it is time for a segment episode of Audible Interlude. As we've talked about, we're still kind of figuring out how we can split these things up and deliver you guys more content. And I think we've settled out on doing some uh, news one episode, segment another episode, maybe a little more news if it's warranted. So thanks for hanging in there with us. Uh, Please do follow us on Instagram at Audible Interlude Podcast and on Twitter at G.I. Joe Audible. Uh, Check out the Needless Things YouTube channel for toy reviews every Monday and Wednesday, and sometimes Monday through Thursday, uh, and hopefully some more G.I. Joe reviews coming up soon. And with that, you guys, are we ready to do some reviews, some retrospectives, some deep, deep thoughts about G.I. Joe? Crackers. Let's get to it. All right, so we have been talking for several months now about reviewing today's topic, and that is the 2003 G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, Spy Troops, the movie. I was down with this because I already own it, because I was actively collecting G.I. Joe at this point. I got back in in 97, and I hung in there all the way through I, honestly, I've really been collecting since 97 because I went through Real American Hero Return, Spy Troops, Valor versus Venom, and then on into 25th Anniversary and up to now. So, I mean, I've I've been pretty consistent for this whole time. Uh, but I will say this. I have owned this Spy Troops DVD that I'm holding in my hand right now since it came out. I watched it the other day and I had literally no recollection of it whatsoever. Which is mind blowing. If you've ever seen it, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even, I didn't even remember eyes of a hero. If you can believe that, (laughs) isn't that the name of the, the, the tune, the music video. Uh, It's in my notes here. Believe me, we'll get to it. Uh, (laughs) So had you guys seen this before? No, I bought, I bought the DVD when we did a, a beyond the eighties review of spy troops toys. And I was just poking around online. I was like, Oh, I can get this DVD for like seven, $7 on Amazon. Yeah. And so I did. It's been sitting on my shelf awaiting for this very moment when we decided <laughs> to review it. Uh, so I, man, this, this brought up, I have so many notes about this thing. Uh, watching it, I had so many conflicting feelings about the experience, but we're going to talk about all of that. Uh, it was directed by Dale Carmen and Brandon Oldenburg, much to my surprise, because I didn't see this until the end credits. It was written by Larry Hama. 
the hey, score I was... have questions. So yeah, many questions. <laughs> right. Like, what exactly is that writing credit entail? <laughs> yeah. Um, score by John Hunter, and uh, the it was it was produced by the Real FX Animation Studios. Uh, out of all of that, I think it's safe to say there's only one name in there that Joe fans know right off the top of their heads. <laughs> and, and we're all, once you have seen this, once you have experienced Spy Troops, you will be shocked <laughs> by that name. But there's, there's a lot to this. And one of the benefits that I had that I don't think either one of you guys did is having the DVD, I have access to the special features, which includes a making of with a look at the production team. Well, you said, no, you said yep. you got the DVD. Yeah, I, you I, watched I did the special watch, features. I kind everything? of briefly skimmed through some of the special features. So I watched the whole feature and then went into the special features and it kind of changed my feelings about the whole production just a little bit. It, it softened me up a little, uh, but we'll talk about the production team. Uh, after we talk about the feature itself. So, Christian, going into this, did you have thoughts or expectations? So, I had seen some clips, mainly of Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow. <clears throat> so, going into it, I did have a preconceived notion of what the computer animation was going to be like but that was it um i mean obviously and then being familiar with the toys knowing what the designs were were going to be um but other than that total blank slate well and that was my main touchstone uh, like i said i didn't i figured once i sat down and started watching it i would be like oh yeah i remember this but I nothing rang a bell, no familiarity whatsoever. Uh, so my main touchstone for this was I, I am still a big fan of a lot of the spy troops character designs. Uh, to me, they're good updates. A lot of them hold up really well. I'd actually like to see some of these in the classified series. Uh, oh, if we don't get an imp daddy, true imp daddy Destro <laughs> with, with before his... classifieds is over, they have failed us. With, with his big black jinkos. Yeah. And his, and his giant gold chain. chain. <laughs> um, the Really the only issue I had with spy troops, uh, you know, the construction of the figures is up, up for debate, uh, but a lot of the vehicle designs are I think a, skewed a bit younger than we tend to think of G.I. Joe being uh, but that could be said of this whole production is I feel like it was aimed at a little lower, a little younger demographic than the GI Joe that we grew up with, which is wild because people often talk about how silly Sunbow is. Uh, and while it's fantastical at times, I never had the feeling that Sunbow was, was really dumbed down. Well, and I think that's it. I don't think it was necessarily aimed towards a younger uh, audience i just think that they thought that that's what that age audience wanted at this point in 2003 because i think that you're still looking at because when when a real american hero came out i was you know seven eight years old so this this doesn't feel like it's made for anybody younger than seven or eight 
Yeah, I, I felt like, and I'm trying to remember what came before this as far as the, not necessarily the toy lines, but any media. Because the way that, that, that Larry wrote the script, um, I do feel like there was a lot of exposition in this to explain a lot of things that we didn't have explained when we watched the Sunbow series. You know, it would have been a really good idea to look up other media at the time to see where this fell, because I wasn't particularly paying attention. Well, you know what? This was this would have been the same time as time frame as the Masters of the Universe reboot. It would have been the same time frame. Um, oh, gosh, it just fell right out of my head. I had another one that would have been right around this time, I think. Tr- Transformers was doing um, well, Robots in Disguise. They just wrapped and they were doing, <clears throat> I think, Armada at this point, which Armada um, was very, it was definitely more kid-friendly feeling. I think the Thundercats reboot was a few years after this. Yeah. That might have been like 2007. So uh, so Armada and the Masters, the Mike Young Productions, Masters of the Universe cartoons. I mean, that, if you're comparing that, that's like almost a full-blown anime mm-hmm. that this is is certainly not, as far as sophistication goes, not on that level. Uh, so it's 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 an interesting tone, I guess, for G.I. Joe. To me, this it's not quite preschool, but it does not feel like the same level as the Sunbow stuff. No, but I feel like there are so many nuggets in here. Like there are so many concepts and ideas that are good. Yes. Maybe it's yes. just because of the runtime, the limited budget limits from Hasbro, I don't know. But like, it just didn't get executed to the best that it could possibly be. Well, I think the runtime too is a is a weird thing because this is, and, and I'm sure we'll discuss this later on, the way this thing feels is, of course, it's advertised as the movie and it's like 44 minutes long. And that was the intention for it to be that long. And it, I don't believe this came out initially in like shorts that were pieced together, but it almost feels like it does just because of the weird frenetic pacing. And then suddenly everything is kind of normally paced. Then all of a sudden there's like a two minute scene where it's like that could have been 10 minutes worth of action. And it kind of goes back and forth between those elements so many times that um, I don't know. It's just, it's very inconsistent in that. Like the, like the last two minutes of the movie feel like they wrap up in just like no time whatsoever yeah yeah it, i well it, it make me wonder did they did they make parts of this as a pitch to try and get a series well there are parts that did of not it get picked up and then therefore they filled in the gaps and said now we have a direct to dvd movie well prior to this being done this animation studio did the commercials for the spy troops line and right. some of the footage from those commercials is in the movie. That doesn't surprise me, knowing that now. So that explains kind of the odd pacing and, and cuts that pop up. But the odd thing is, in those commercials, some of the character designs are entirely different. 
Uh, for instance, Destro in the movie, his face is fully mobile, moving like a face. In the commercials, he just has this rictus grin that does not move while he talks. So it's like a mask with the big crazy grin on it. Uh, so, and they're a little different. There are differences in some of the character designs. Cobra Commander's character design is a little bit different in the commercials. Uh, it's it's interesting. I would say any anybody that's listening that's at all curious about like early 2000s G.I. Joe, if you can get this for seven bucks like Noel did, it's worth it just for the extras to hear about the production team. Uh, it seems to me from what they said that Hasbro had no intention of turning this into a series that they wanted this feature basically as a promotional tool to sell the toys, <laughs> but they had no interest in a longer form uh, thing, which you'd think this would be a pilot similar to like the miniseries of the eighties mm -hmm. where this plays and then cartoon network or somebody picks up an ongoing series. And that from what they said, doesn't sound like it was ever even on the table. Mm. So let's get to the movie itself. Uh, the first thing that jumped out at me was the music and how a lot of the music felt like it was using the old score from the 80s show. Like there were movements very, very reminiscent to me of the original music. As a matter of fact, you even, uh, there were, it was towards the end of the movie twice, you got the, the old theme song uh, elements of that that they used. But then there were other times where it was completely like, just technoed out yeah a lot score. of techno. yeah <laughs> which is to be expected for the era like i right. have no issue with that and none of it the, at no point was i was like this music is terrible i was like oh, i get it it's, this is what this is well did you and and i don't know it just may have been the way i was watching it with my surround sound but did you feel like the music was a little bit too uh high in the mix like too elevated in the mix compared to some of the dialogue in a lot of in a lot of scenes I no, I didn't get that while I was watching it, and yeah. I believe me, I I noticed that stuff. So I no, that didn't come across, and it may well, just be a setting thing. And I don't know because I mean I sit and you know watch stuff in that spot all the time, and it never it never seems to be that way with other media. But this one particular, and watching it on I was watching it on DVD on a PlayStation. I'll tell you a story about that later on because uh -oh. it's tie, ties into this. But and I don't know, maybe it's just because I haven't watched a DVD in so long. <laughs> um i am just used to watching stuff on like streaming and on you know on my cable or a, that's my, my digital TV. video disc yeah <laughs> so uh I, I don't know maybe i'm just not used to the way that that was that that's mixed or, yeah that didn't that didn't strike me really i didn't notice anything yeah, maybe i need to rebalance that. my surround sound for it uh so the cgi is it struck me as being very much like small soldiers, but like a super cheap version of small soldiers. It and is not good. When the vehicles moved, they looked like Toy Story. Like the way they jerked around and stuff, it looked very... Look, yeah, that's something I noticed throughout the whole movie and not just with the vehicles, but also in some of the action scenes the animation is is moving 
And then all of a sudden, it's like there'll be these frames where everything kind of either goes a little jerky, yeah, or, or blurry slow motion, almost or you have like the half, half speed. There's a lot of half speed in there. That yeah, I don't understand yeah. that at all. It's almost and, like it's buffering, right? Except the, you're except you're watching a DVD, so that's not what's happening. Well, and I got the thing you were mentioning, like it was like Toy Story. It 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 feels like you're looking at miniatures. Yeah, the like physics really, were not right. Yeah, obvious no. miniatures in a lot of scenes, and, it, and it's a little jarring because it's like I, I'm kind of sitting there going, "Well, it looks, it, it almost looks like they're playing with GI Joe toys, right?" <laughs> and, and well, and I think it's it's like the vehicles are animated separate, and I know this is how it sounds, but the vehicles are animated separate from the figures separate from the background separate from all of the yes. effects yeah. that they overlaid and no one stopped to think how does this all interact together because even when they're getting shot at it doesn't look like they're getting shot at it looks like sideways rain that has a glow effect well and they addressed that in the special features they talked about how they had to use a separate program to put in the explosions and the lasers and everything else. And they actually had to layer that in because they, they, I think he said they didn't have the budget to animate it. So they had to use pre-existing software to do their best with that. And watching them do the, do the animations on those old CRT monitors. Oh my gosh. Uh, It was (laughs) well. And that really brings to light the era that we're in where at the time, this certainly wouldn't have looked as janky as it does to us, to our modern eyes now. This is 19 years ago when every cartoon on TV wasn't CGI. Right. But you did have, I mean, this was after Monsters, Inc. and Shrek were in theaters. Well, that's films, though. Right. But this is a completely we- different. But I am also one of those animation snobs that when I look at those films and I look at like the first Toy Story, you even see the flaws in those. I mean, the technology just wasn't where it needed to be to make a fluid animation. No, I went and saw the first two two uh, Toy Story movies in the theater when they were releasing Toy Story 3. And Toy Story 1 looks fine on your television. Yeah. But it's real hard to watch it on a big screen. Uh, and granted, that was eight years before this, and it was a but it was a motion picture. So, I was talking about this with my son the other day. Let me. I want to throw this out there and see what you guys say. How would you feel if they completely redid the animation for Toy Story? I don't think it needs to happen. I think it's fine. But it's not. You just said it's not. Oh, it's it's hard to watch on a <laughs> it's hard to watch on a the, on a theater screen that's seventy five feet wide. But I don't need to watch it on a theater screen that's seventy five feet wide. Toy Story remastered with modern technology. I mean, I, I'm not against it happening. I just don't. I just don't need it to happen. Yeah, I'd be I, honestly, I'd be very Toy interested Story to is see the it. only Toy Story movie I actually enjoyed. So I am probably the wrong person. You're fired! <laughs> Get out! All right. I, I think uh, Toy Story 4 is actually the best of the whole series. And I have not seen it yet. So I'll throw that I out there. I thought 3 was the perfect ending. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, voice work. Let's talk a little bit about the voice work. Overall, I was pleasantly surprised by the voice work. I thought Duke sounded great. I thought, well, really the only characters that were a little iffy to me were, uh, you know, I, I, now I like Scottish accent Destro. That would have been nice. And Mindbender sounds so weird without an accent. Yeah. But should he have an accent? Not necessarily. No, no. he really shouldn't. And the same thought crossed my mind. I was like, it sounds weird. He doesn't have a weird European accent, but there's no, like, there's nothing in Dr. Mindbender's dossier that says he's European that I'm aware of. Right. That's a, that's a Sunbow device. Yeah. That's not necessarily correct. (laughs) I will say, um, I, I think when they developed the character of Beachhead, they basically said, He's got beach in his name. And we're going to make him a surfer, dude. <laughs> my two major issues Beachhead is a surfer guy, terrible. And Wild Bill <laughs> says yeehaw, I think, uh, 437 times in 43 minutes. It's a little rough. <laughs> so, uh, honestly, when I watched it the first time up until the credits, I thought this had a much smaller voice cast than it did. When, <laughs> when, I, when I saw, because so many of them, if you close your eyes, you can't tell who is speaking when it comes to the Joe team. They are all so similar. Yeah. Um, when I saw a lot of the names and a lot of names that I actually recognize yeah. that do well, great yeah. work in other shows, uh, I don't fault them. I really started to try to look more into um, the director and and what choices were were made. Well, I mean, overall, I, I like I said, I was I was happy with most of the voice work in this. Yeah, um, and you compare this to something like Resolute that used four voice actors for all characters. I'll take this over yeah. that all day long. And and these are all it's a, these are all professional voice actors. Almost, I think all but one of them are Canadian because that's <laughs> where you go. You go to get affordable voice actors. That's where you go talent. to get real American heroes. That's right. Well, and uh, I believe that's also where Real FX. It uh, is I based. believe they are based out of Quebec. I think they were actually based out of uh, Texas, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I think what? Both. Really? Okay. Yes. Yeah, I think all the animation, animation was done in Texas, but the voice work was done um, with like up in Canada. Um, and of course, Scott McNeil, uh, who does the voice of Destro. Um, I kept listening to him going, he sounds like Dinobot. He sounds like Dinobot. And sure enough, I looked at the credits. I was like, oh, because it's Scott McNeil. Who, we, If you're a fan of Beast Wars, he did Waspinator. He did Silverbolt. He did Rat Trap. And yes, he did Dinobot. And he's definitely pulling his Dinobot impression for his Destro, which I, you know, it wasn't Scottish, but at least he had a bit of a kind of a regal accent. Well, and I thought it was neat that uh, Michael Dobson, who voiced yes. Cobra Commander, also voiced Starscream in a number of Transformers productions. So that was a neat little tie-in. And he was great. It was a little bit of the very over-the-top Cobra Commander. Like he's taking Chris Lotta and turning up turning it up to a you know eleven, but but for this it. it it worked. 
Yeah, yeah. I thought it really, really worked for it. Um, you know, he he definitely was he went back and watched some Sunbow cartoons yeah. before he recorded these lines. And all of the exaggerated movements and like mm-hmm. everybody was very kinetic in this. Yeah. And like it, it, I'm not sure if this is the right place to point it out, but whoever designed Cobra Commander's throne room uh, obviously was a fan of the original Battlestar Galactica because try to convince me that was not the Imperial Commander's throne with the sidesteps and the big throne in the center spinning around and you guys are looking at me like a three-headed monster. I haven't so seen I, the I original the Battlestar one. Galactica since I was like four years old I was, so oh, okay. I will take boat. your word for it <laughs> Uh, so we've already covered Beachhead as a surfer is is just terrible. Uh, I did like, okay, so early on, we get the big opening battle scene that turn out to be training maneuvers, which is, you know, kind of a staple of G.I. Joe. But what's interesting is we have this new, uh, what is it, the night attack chopper, mm-hmm. which, by the way, nobody in the military calls a helicopter a chopper. Uh, but the night attack chopper and then we get the reveal that wild bill is actually piloting the chopper remotely which iron man 2 completely stole (laughs) from gi joe spy troops the movie you heard it first right here on audible interlude john favreau john favreau is a huge (laughs) spy troops fan uh uh, but I, th- I actually did think that was a that was a fun little reveal, and there were a lot of things like that that, as uh, as kind of in your face as all of this is, like Christian said, there are a lot of kind of neat little details and things hidden in here that uh, kind of belie the simplicity of the the overall product. Although physics so, are not a thing that exists. No, physics are not, not at all. <laughs> physics are not a thing until Heavy Duty is drop-kicking helicopters out of the sky from his hang glider <laughs> later on. But we'll uh, get to that. Is Yojo Soda something that is mass? Like, can I walk into a grocery store in this world realm and buy Yojo Soda? Yojo Cola or Yojo is Cola? widely available. Or in- is that something they only make for the Joe team? No, that's a that's a mass market product in the Spy Troops verse. Okay. Uh, you can go into any Joe Mart across the country <laughs> and buy your Yojo Cola. <laughs> or you can go to any uh, Yojo vending machine. It's actually... In this world, G.I. Joe is actually the big corporate entity. Right. Uh, I feel it's, like, it's the opposite I feel of like And Cobra is the plucky underdog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this was weird. We, uh, we've kind of gone. There's no other way than to jump around with this product. Uh, I really liked the intro, the theme song. It gave me this. You know, I and when this came out, I was 23 years old. No, 20, 26, boy, 27. No, that can't be right. Is that right? 27. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. 96, I would have been 27 years later. I would have been 27. <laughs> Jeez. I was 27 years old when this came out. So this was not at a point in my life where 
nostalgia started, if that makes sense. Like my nostalgia is for things in the early, mid, late 80s, maybe the very early 90s. And then after that, I, I you, you know, I, I feel like once we hit 16, 17, a different kind of emotive recall takes place where it's no longer that kid nostalgia that makes things like G.I. Joe so special. But the opening theme for this gave me a really weird 2000s nostalgia where everything was techno new metal. <laughs> like, I don't know. I was just like, oh, this is, I never liked this and I don't like this now, but this is kind of <laughs> cool because it's, it's taken me back to a place. <sighs> No, it totally gave me Orlando scene vibes. <laughs> so I, I, uh, and even with the ending theme song, what, what kept going through my head was like in the 80s, our cartoons had either these rocking theme songs or rocking closing songs, like, you know, that we can still sing today. Yeah. And it, yeah, I'll admit this, both the opening and the closing song. I'm like, if this was playing in my car, I would roll the windows. Down I'd crank and it. Bop out too. I'd crank it. The, yeah. On the special features, when they're discussing the music, and they they kind of they're talking about the closing theme, <laughs> and he's mentioning it's like, well, we kind of wanted to keep some of the elements of the original GI Joe themes, but we and the way he words it, it's like, oh, this is an old man trying to explain making things for kids. He's like, we had to make it like hip and cool for the kids at the well, time. <laughs> what's so funny about that portion of the the behind the scenes thing is they do the interview with the the, the director talks, the lead animator talks. Um, and they're just conversing. But once it gets to the music guy, he's very clearly reading off of a page. Like <laughs> yeah. he's, he prepared his words because he's an older dude. And just this is my presentation for how I got a committee together to write this song for G.I. Joseph. I hear the kids like something called Lincoln Park. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it has to sound a little like a little bit like them. But yeah, it very much looked like a committee put this song together. <laughs> and uh, but but I, I mean, for what it is, it works. Like you said, Christian, if this comes on in the car, which by the way, I will be ripping both of those uh, from this DVD. <laughs> uh, I will be cranking them up. So they establish early on. Well, okay. So this is interesting. Uh, Cobra consists mainly of purple vipers. Did you guys notice this? Yeah. But they introduce right at the beginning, uh, Cobra commanders, robot troops. So we know we're establishing that we've got a lot of cannon fodder that can get blown to pieces in a product aimed at children. And we also established Cobra Command. Did you guys notice Cobra Commander's like super shiny gloves? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was a, a, and I figured that was just a restraint with the animation at the time. But yeah, they were really distracting. Well, I think they were supposed because Destro's mask also had like a gloss to it like that. So I think it was just a matter of them trying to make Cobra Commander's gloves look like 
like leather or you know a shiny like patent leather material right yeah. to stand out from his uniform but they just they went too far with it yeah the whole See, thing especially notice. when shipwreck is wearing his costume uh yes. yeah it's really really distracting i didn't notice it with his gloves but i did notice that with mindbender's monocle yes oh how well, the, he's got the it, little which i like he's got like a little technological you know little doodad like, yeah that almost like a steampunk thing but it's like yeah it's, but there's so many times when they're doing like reflections like, yeah they were heavy like the light into, reflection off of yeah. his monocle where it was like i should be looking at this whole image but i just keep seeing this light flashing from his eye mm -hmm. so oh and speaking of cannon fodder and rampant destruction uh the mind interface remote control was clearly designed so the animators could skip having parachutes in every scene where an air vehicle explodes. <laughs> by, by the way, can we talk about the abbreviation MIRC? Which, Let's do. Which is uh, Internet Relay Chat. And in 2003, that was a big thing on the internet. So it was kind of funny that they named this technology the same thing as uh, oh. a popular uh, chat technology. Because I, I was a, I was spending a lot of time in MIRC chat rooms back in 2003. I don't know that I even had the internet in 2003, <laughs> so I certainly wasn't aware of that. Uh, I like when Mindbender is pitching his robot troops, or, or he's you know he's pitching stealing the MIRC from GI Joe. Cobra Commander's like, I don't care about dead pilots. <laughs> Oh, he, he straight up just says, "I don't care how many of these pilots die." They they did the thing at the beginning where they're introducing they introduce like that character was high tech. Yes, and you figure, okay, this guy's going to be important to this story, and then he just no. disappears. He well, does he does his design? Do, do you think he was designed to look like Solid Snake? Uh, well, uh, I could. Uh, yeah, I didn't know who he was at now first until they said it. his name, and I was like, uh, okay. Uh, but yeah, he was relatively useless. I thought he would end up being, uh, you know how they always make up that audience viewpoint character? Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that's what he was going to be. And then fortunately he wasn't because that character is always terrible without exception. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad that didn't turn out that way. Uh, you know, speaking of the animation, but, but this is, all right, so I'm going to say something, but then I'm going to, to be fair it. What, watching these characters walk is painful. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> but to be fair, just a couple years later, and, and for years into its run, Clone Wars had the same problem. Like if you watch old episodes of Clone Wars, and honestly, even the most recent episodes, animating CGI characters to walk is apparently not the easiest thing in the world to do. So, I am a huge Jerry Anderson fan. <laughs> like, legit. You're so right. Fan. I know where and you're going. <laughs> watching these characters walk reminded me of why Jerry Anderson very rarely would try to show the puppets walking because they're, it's just an up-down motion. They're in glorious marionation. Right. At least they had the excuse that they were <laughs> on strings. 
yeah, and the some of not just the walking. I actually I think the running offended me. Oh really? See, I found the running to be more acceptable for some reason. Mm-mm. The running didn't bother me as much as the walking. God, no, I don't. The running just really. I'm playing it right now, and I and nobody's running, so I can't I can't give you a direct <laughs> reference. Uh, so we've got Heavy Duty, who was essentially the replacement for Roadblock because they lost the is it copyright or trademark trademark but they mentioned roadblock yeah right they sure. mentioned they that he's roadblock's it. cousin uh but heavy duty is in the kitchen cooking and i think it's scarlet that specifically says your cousin would be proud yes uh <laughs> but then he uses a grenade to cook food well, it is sure. not the first time in this movie where they don't quite understand what happens when a grenade goes off. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't hold that against them because there are live action, big budget movies that don't understand how grenades work. So I know, but I, you know, a grenade is a pretty, it's a pretty deadly weapon in warfare. And I, and I, I would hope that a, a program that's designed for children would kind of help to teach that, you know, these, these are dangerous items. And maybe if one, uh, comes undone on your person when you're battling your former uh, Arashikage brother that maybe you shouldn't show up in the next scene unscathed. Dude, that was so weird <laughs> because I was like, whoa, they just killed Storm Shadow. Wow, I'm shocked that this cartoon went that far. And then next scene, there he is. I was like, wait a minute. Hold <laughs> on. They just straight up like Bugs Bunnied this guy. <laughs> So, uh, all right, uh, back to good things. I did like the, the way that they dealt with Zartan being shipwrecked. Like they kind of subtly established early on. There was something a little off with shipwreck, uh, where we haven't seen Polly, where's Polly? He's acting a little weird. He's not a very good gunner all of a sudden. Right, right, right. Uh, and then he goes to his room and there's shipwreck tied up on the floor and we get the a uh, very diabolical, over-the-top Zartan voice, which I appreciated, and the weird graphics of his, however his disguise works in this iteration, which I don't and, think they got into. And another character that clearly the voice actor went back and watched some Sunbow cartoons uh, yes. before he did yeah. this. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so that worked out pretty well for me. I liked that. And then the, the scene where they're going up in the elevator and he's like, we're all here all of us going up on the elevator and they all kind of stop and give him that look like the it Patriot was Patriot tank just went out the back door. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the grizzly Patriot the grizzly Patriot, <laughs> which by the way, that tank is awesome, but the way that it moves, it does a wheelie later on in this thing. Once again, physics. And again, it's that looks lot. like it looks like someone is, playing with their toys going and- vroom 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh the, and that brings me to the point the only vehicle i bought during this era was the night attack chopper uh i didn't care for the grizzly looking at it in this i can't i didn't look it up online i probably should have uh it looks like a cool tank i think the only reason i wouldn't have bought it is maybe if it was expensive or like remote control or something like that which it might have been but like 
the the dune buggy things and the hell the all the flying things like it's all too much i didn't care for any of those vehicle designs when it looks uh, completely different from the toy versus oh the does it version yeah i guess i need to look this it's, up it's a lot more of a realistic it does still have those big wheels at the back but it looks a lot more like a real tank when you look at the toy versus the way it looked in the uh oh yeah that's boring yeah yeah, that's why I didn't buy it because it looks like some just generic, like Kmart brand army tank, which was an issue with some of this stuff. Is it just looked cheap to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. If if this looked like what was in this movie, I would have bought it. But it really doesn't. It just looks like some generic army toy army tank. And it looks a little undersized, too. I'm looking at it with a figure in it. Well, no, wait a minute. That's not a figure. That's the hatch open. So, actually, no, it's a decent size. Yeah. Actually, gosh, this thing looks kind of awesome now that I'm looking at a close-up picture. <laughs> you have Turn come it. around on the Patriot. <laughs> I gonna, well, I'm just looking at all the hatches and everything. <laughs> like, look at, the, look at how many figures you can get on this thing. Am I going to have to buy one of these? <laughs> Ugh. All right. Anyway. Moving along. Oh, man, my notes went away. I I took too long gushing over the stupid grizzly tank and my phone turned off. Uh, I already mentioned the fact that it seemed like Hasbro had no intention for anything beyond this. Uh, Oh, okay. So I was a little concerned about Scarlet's usefulness because at the very beginning she gets saved by snake eyes then she gets kidnapped but then towards the end she starts to show some self-sufficiency and and some skills well she saves snake eyes and ends up saving snake eyes so they kind of redeemed that so that's if i was thinking okay what are the elements of this that larry hama probably did right and made it into the final cut and i think that may have been one of the things where he kind of mirrored what happens in silent interlude there yeah uh let's see so scarlet ends up working out oh uh, night attack chopper so very blatant it's part of the story but we get two toys out of one thanks to this movie, because they get the night attack chopper and have it converted into the, was the crimson assault chopper or whatever it is. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, with, with minor retooling and a repaint, uh, which I, I didn't buy that one. And I wish I had because it came with uh, pretty unique Tomax and Zaymod figures, or at least one version of it did. What I'd like to know, I'm posing this question to you guys because you're intellectuals and you're here to share your intellectual points of view. How in the world does it make any sense that Storm Shadow and Destro are each controlling five bats at the same time? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I uh, I was like, what happens if someone attacks this bat over here from the left and someone attacks this bat over here from the right and you're controlling them both? yeah that was that's just how much brain power they have that's how great they are destro is a a master strategist and storm shadow is of course a ninja who we know are capable of anything including surviving direct hits with grenades yes yes 
So that explains that. Uh, okay, so we get to our pre- pre- uh, prior to Storm Shadow getting not exploded by a grenade. We have the ubiquitous ninja battle <laughs> where they bounce around the room like a couple of bouncy balls. What did you guys, where does this ninja battle rank for you guys? In the, it, in, in the forgettable category, I would say. Yeah, this, my first note for this was Code Lyoko fight scene. And I don't know I, what that means, but I'm going to assume <laughs> it's not nice. It's it, it was a early computer animation show, uh, French that was also on Cartoon Network. Okay, and the movements on it were about as believable as that <laughs> fight scene. Well, I feel like because we we basically do have two different fight scenes between Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow. And I feel like the parts where it actually slows down and we see the fighting, the fight choreography is not bad. But then they do the half-speed thing that Noel was talking about or do the bouncing off the walls thing that's so preposterous. Like, if it wasn't for that, the the sort of regular fighting that they do is is pretty good amidst this animation it it doesn't stand out as particularly great snake eyes storm shadow conflicts but it's not if you remove the like really ridiculous stuff it's not bad and i i did write down some of the dialogue from the scene that kind of had my eyes rolling where he's of course because you know only one character can speak one is doing all of the exposition yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and he says something along the lines of Hello, my former Arashikage brother. If I was ever your brother, I am not your brother <laughs> yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, that was a little awkward. Uh, not as awkward as Storm Shadow having blue eyes, though. Uh, I don't think I noticed that. Yeah. It's not great. Uh, what is great is shipwreck stumbling into Cobra Commander's closet <laughs> with all of his Cobra Commander uniforms lined up on the wall. And let me say that Polly always needs an eye patch in all versions of fiction going forward. A hundred percent agree with that. Uh, well, Polly had the best the best moment of the entire movie. So we have shipwreck. Fortunately, earlier in the movie, they have established that Shipwreck does an impersonation of Cobra Commander. And but they also say Polly's is better. Right. And and we know that okay, so there's a weird moment. Okay, wait, wait. We got I gotta save that because that's further further in. God, I can't believe we're only like halfway through this thing. <laughs> what what a monumental epic masterpiece this is. Uh so Shipwreck is in Cobra Commander's uniform. Uh, trying to give the Joes access to Cobra Mountain. And we we have him giving orders. And then Polly, uh, as as Shipwreck is making demands, you know, give me the access codes. And then you hear, and give me some crackers. <laughs> and it's Polly behind Shipwreck doing Polly's, uh, Polly, who is established as female, 
uh, doing her impersonation of Cobra Commander. Oh my god! And gosh. spoiler, Polly gets Polly gets her crackers. <laughs> Polly does get her crackers. <laughs> uh, okay, so other highlights we have. Uh, aside from being absolutely preposterous with the aforementioned heavy-duty drop-kicking helicopters, uh, the, I, I thought the action scenes were pretty fun and good. Like, physics aside, limitations of the animation aside, I feel like all of the sort of, whether it's vehicular combat or interpersonal combat or whatever, like, it was all, like, it was never dull. It was all pretty fun. There was always a lot of action uh it was it was fun to watch when there was action happening, and I think with a little bit more of a budget, and yes, and maybe not being so constricted by this runtime, it could have actually had a lot of like really fun, very memorable action scenes. Yeah, yeah this... when I when I think of all the other cartoons that were out around that same time that this would have been made, not even necessarily when it was released. It the choreography is there. If it had been hand drawn animation, uh, I think it would have been phenomenal. There's just too many limitations on what they could. Uh, I hate using the word believably, but what they could do. Yeah, yeah. No, I get what you're saying because they ha- Hasbro wanted this look because this look is what was hot at the time uh but it would have been better served in another medium mm-hmm. uh but i do think if kids had 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 the opportunity to see this if it had been more widespread or more widely available i feel like kids would have been into this I feel so sorry for the future of our. <laughs> well, and it was this actually, uh, was this packed in with figures or was it, was. it just That's... available separately? No. It, so it well, started both, out right? being, it started out being packed in with, I believe it's a, uh, a 12 inch figure two pack. Yeah. Yes. The Cobra, the snake eyes and storm two shadow pack. two pack, because okay. I have those figures. And then later, it was available alone with a suggested retail price of four ninety five, which and Cartoon is Network, about what it's fair. Cartoon Network did play oh, it. Yep, at ten p.m. Ten p.m. So that would have been a, a, an Adult Swim kind of weird. <laughs> uh, all right, let's see here. Uh, have you I'm, gotten I, to the? The big, the big star character that uh, is revealed, that winds up being fairly unmemorable in Agent Faces. Agent Faces, who as I loved, is a, a concept. He was packed with Zartan, obviously meant to be Zartan's counterpart on the Joe team, which I still think is a great invention. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how could you design him not to look like Dirk Benedict? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what's weird is Shipwreck asks how Faces knows his name, but I feel like in this universe, they've established that every Joe and every Cobra knows who they all are. Like that was a, that was a weird question in this context for me. 
Uh, but yes, we get faces who's been undercover the whole time and then kind of doesn't do a whole lot. Yeah. Well, he gets knocked out. <laughs> he, get, <laughs> he gets giles uh, um, so they we talked about they how they blew up storm shadow but he's fine uh oh when so mindbender and some bats are looking for the joes that are in the base they think they've escaped and then they look up Shipwreck swings down from the rafters and boots uh, the bats. And that's when we get the refrain of the old G.I. Joe theme, uh, which was a really nice touch. I, I also want to toss in, and I probably should have said this earlier. I do like the redesign for the bats in this. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I like will... this the very robotic look for them. Like I said, I like most of these character designs uh, and be very interested in seeing them updated in like classified series. Uh, there's a at the end after Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes have had their big face off and they're kind of separate uh, and Cobra Mountain starts exploding. There's a moment where uh, exp- the, the very superimposed explosions are happening and Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes have realized they can fight no longer. And Snake Eyes turns around and runs away. Uh, what's her name on Bob's Burgers? Tina. Snake Eyes runs away Tina style without moving his arms. <laughs> like his legs are running. And they just didn't bother to give his arms any animation. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think they figured, well, there's so many explosions in front of him. We just don't need to bother with that. So it's just legs moving and his arms straight down by his sides, holding his swords. Uh, so that was hilarious, but not as funny as when he shot the boulder in half to save the Joes. Although we have established already that the ballistic capabilities of the G.I. Joe's equipment can bore through a mountain. You can drill a hole through a mountain simply by shooting really fast. Uh, So obviously you can cut a boulder in half with a pistol. (laughs) Makes sense. Uh, And then we get the goofy Cobra comedy music as Mindbender and Cobra Commander are making their escape to appear in next year's Valor versus Venom, which we will also be reviewing here <laughs> at some point. Yes, I'm going to have to get on that DVD here soon. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've got that one. I'm going to have to track that one down, uh, which is weird. Well, I might have had it at one point because, I, like I said, I was still collecting into Valor versus Venom. Uh, so the commercials using the same CGI are very intense. The music is different. And if you watch them on this, like they're they're operatic in their intensity almost it's it's a quite a difference from this movie uh i mentioned how destro's face doesn't move so now we can talk a little bit about the creators uh watching the behind the scenes features they are children like i cannot believe how young these people look they i mean they they might have been younger than i was at this time uh, I, I was just shocked, but it makes sense because they were in essentially an emerging form of media. 
Christian, you said you had some, some, I guess not background, but follow up. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the company was founded, Real FX was founded in 1996. So they had been around a while. Of course, much like Pixar, um, doing shorts and, and stuff like that. So Valor versus Venom is one of the first, you know, main things that they uh, that they did. So Spy Troops. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah. <clears throat> I just pulled up their page again and Valor versus Venom was like looking right at me. So okay, Spy so Troops, they did do the follow-up as well. So yes, they also did Valor versus Venom okay. uh, in 2004. So they did some some other shows, nothing that I recognize, but then when you get when you start looking at it, uh, their first feature film is the movie Free Birds, which is on most of the streaming sites. I've never watched it. However, um, they also did the movie The Book of Life, uh, which the animation in that is so vastly superior. Of course, by the time that comes out, it's 2014. <clears throat> um, and one of my friends uh, who works for Ubisoft actually did some lighting on the book of life. Uh, so I'm going to be reaching out to him to see what more information I can find out about this company, but they also uh, did the 2020 movie Scoob for Warner brothers. Really? Yep. If you watch that, um, it was actually pretty good. I was not expecting yeah. anything. Uh, it was, it was really fun. Yeah. Um, and then also, uh, I'm not, I don't know if it came out in theaters, but I know it's on Paramount Plus right now. Um, they did the monster wrestling movie Rumble. Oh, yeah. It was supposed I, to I go to theaters, and I think it was a pandemic thing. Not, not a bad movie. I mean, it was, you know, mostly okay. Um, but their short film, The Man in the Moon, actually was the basis for what became Rise of the Guardians, even though they didn't do the animation for that. So they've been tied in with all of these other projects that obviously with improving technology and budgets, they are capable of really good work. Um, and the, the, the founder, or at least one of the founders, um, Jonathan Keaton, I hope I'm saying his name right, all of the interviews that I I read with him when I was looking up stuff on on the company, he just comes across as very passionate about the the industry and the the sort of fandoms that he is into. So I can appreciate it. Again, I I I don't they were working with the constraints that they had. So I don't want our listeners to think like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm dissing on this movie uh, because real effects sucks. That's not it at all. I, I don't think it would matter who the company was. Um, but it, it does make me feel better to know that they did go on to bigger and, and much better things. Well, and what's important, and, and I will say we're very lucky that they documented the, the amount of creation of this that they did. I love that we've got this behind the scenes feature on this and it's very clear 
that the people that made this are Joe fans, that they they knew what they were doing, that they wanted to as best they could represent G.I. Joe within the constraints of what Hasbro hired them to do. And I wonder the same thing about Larry Hama and and the script. Um, uh, again, until I watched it and I saw the credits, I didn't realize he was the, the writer. But, I, I, you know, when, when you read about the constraints that Hasbro put on the comics back in the day, um, you know, did they kind of do that same thing where they reined him in and were like, hey, we need this much exposition of the characters to over-explain in order for kids to be excited about the toys. Yeah, I would love to know what degree, like, did he do the plot? Did he do the plot and some specific character beats? Did he straight up write the whole script? I'd be very interested to know his level of involvement. And it's there's probably an interview out there online somewhere that covers it. Yeah, yeah. there's there's multiple people who are credited with, like, story credit, too, in in the final credits. So... I'm thinking that there may have been a framework really at best with some, maybe some character uh, exposition. And that's really the extent of what Larry Hama contributed to it, at least in the final product. Uh, Because like I said, when I, when I, I knew going ahead of time, I was expecting something entirely different because I had never seen this before. I really wasn't that familiar with any of the spy troops stuff going into it. I knew from months ago that Larry had written the Spy Troops movie. He's credited as the writer. And I was like, well, that sounds great. I'm going to have to watch this. And I just did not feel, but for a couple of character moments, like this didn't feel like it came from the pen of Larry Hama. No, but I would be, again, because there's so many nuggets in here that I think are good. I, if Larry Hama was to say, I'm writing a Spy Troops miniseries, to tell the story the way I would tell it without any constraints, I would buy that comic. Well, next time I have a chance to ask Larry Hama any questions, uh, I may have to bring up this. This will be top of the list. Spy Troops movie. (laughs) All right. Well, so in the end, how do we feel about Spy Troops? Uh, Will you ever watch it again? Are you glad to have it in your library uh, or is it just sort of a, an interesting piece of Joe history that's best left on the shelf? For me personally, I, uh, you know, there's some stuff that you groan at. I thought it was fun. I'm sure four or five years from now, I'll pull it down, watch it again. It did make me want to dig those toys out and figure out which accessories go with who. <laughs> just kind of give those a little run through again. I, I could see myself watching it again. And I definitely want to go through, cause I, after finishing it, I was kind of working on compiling notes while kind of halfway watching the special features. So that's why I like, I wasn't that invested in them and except for a couple, a couple points that were made. Um, so yeah, I could see myself going back, watching it again, watching the special features again um, and just coming at it on a second viewing, maybe, uh, knowing when some of the silly parts are happening and, and kind of trying to uh, look at the bright side of those scenes as well, 
Yeah, have, having managed your expectations a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm never, I, I won't say I'm never going to watch it again. Um, I just think very much so it's a product of its time. And yes. maybe in 10 more years when, you know, or even five, when we look back at it, I'm going to look at it the same way that I look at early 60s animation. And, and I won't, I may not be as harsh. Now, I will say this, and I mentioned it earlier. We talked about how this, I watched this on DVD that I purchased. This DVD, I believe, broke my PlayStation 3. Oh, no. <laughs> because I, I've been playing off and on Grand Theft Auto 5, going through and trying to get to 100% completion. Never even like the slightest delay in the game for several months worth of off and on play. Pop the DVD, pop that uh, that disc out. I'd been playing it earlier in that afternoon. Popped it out, put this DVD in, watched it, watched some of the special features. Popped it out, popped GTA Five back in. Have reinstalled it three times. Have completely uh, wiped uh, or completely rebuilt my database number numerous times. Cannot get the game to play anymore. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> so, damn you, GI Joe spy troops. Because now I can't. Uh, I've at like ninety six percent of completion on that oh game. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Clearly, well, Doctor Mindbender has have you a virus. tried using your mind control? My MIRC, your, your MIRC to yes. tell your PlayStation. Strap <laughs> on that Merc headset and aim it at the PlayStation. So, so there's sure your caveat impor. Your your buyer beware. Yikes! See, disc. and I I watched mine on my PlayStation Four uh had no problems so and i don't know because i've i've heard stories that uh bad uh like scratch discs can kill your lasers oh, yeah and so that may have been what happened with it so uh, see mine's pristine original owner baby <laughs> all right fellas well it's time to wrap this thing up and move on to some more segments Welcome to Instruments of Destruction, where we talk about one of the vehicles from the world of G.I. Joe. For, uh, for this particular Instruments of Destruction, since I was tasked with coming up with the vehicle, I, as I have done in the past, decided to go with something that I have gotten my hands on recently. And as uh, we talked about uh, with our discussion of Joe Lanta, um, I recently got my hands on a Mamba for the very first time. Nobody beats G.I. Joe. But here's the Cobra Mamba. Cobra Mamba, its power is frightening. Out of the blue, it strikes like lightning. The Cobra Mamba is a fast attack copter with laser guns and missiles. There's a persuader. The Mamba's sides detach to become attack pods. Triple threat, meet us yet. Cobra Mamba. Go, Joe. Nobody beats G.I. Joe, a real American hero. Cobra Mamba and other vehicles and figures sold separately. Go, Joe. Cobra Mamba, of course, came out in 1987. 
I've mentioned this in the past. This is a toy I never had as a kid. It has kind of been a, a, a want, kind of like a, a far reaching dream for me for a long time, because as we mentioned, these don't usually come cheap on the secondary market, but found one in great complete condition for $45, added it to my collection, got it all fixed up sitting on my shelf and I get to admire that thing every day. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm loving this. I also mentioned this as uh, being like one of my unrealistic dream releases when the Walmart retro line uh, for uh, three and three quarter figures was happening. And now I don't have to have that dream anymore because well, Walmart's retro line's gone, but also because <laughs> I have a Mamba. Um, so prior to, of course, the Mamba, Cobra had the Fang, which was a tiny little gyrocopter and didn't wasn't really that impressive. They, you had the Dreadnought Swamp Fire, but that's not really a Cobra vehicle and also not that impressive. So uh, they got a huge upgrade with this thing. Of course, you've got the, uh, the, the most striking feature about the Mamba is its twin blades that blew my mind as a kid because this is How not... How does this work? Right, and I never had one. And I never even, because in 1987, by the time this had come out, none of my friends were collecting G.I. Joe. I was barely collecting G.I. Joe. So I never even like saw one of these things in person until adulthood. So just this idea, these these rotors that are spinning and and not running into each other, which they, they actually do a little bit more in real life <laughs> yeah, than <they> you <laughs> thought. Um, but this is also based on a real life technology. The synchro rotor technology is a real thing that is used in helicopters. It eliminates the need for a tail rotor. So just like uh, on the Mamba, uh, a real life uh, dual spinning rotor uh, does not have to worry about having that tail rotor. Um, the awesome purple color of this thing always struck me as a kid. So I always wanted uh, to add it to my collection, even though I never did until uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, it had the, the two cool attack pods. It's decked out with all sorts of these bright red uh, rockets and missiles. Um, so I can't say enough about how cool the Mamba really is now that I've finally got my hands on one. So I also got my hands on a Mamba at the same time as you did. Uh, the funny thing, though, is... I did not think it was a vehicle that was necessary for me to pick up uh, this early in my recollecting, but I came across a picture from my childhood, Christmas 1987, of a Mamba box sitting on top of the TV. That's right. The big giant wood grain TV that sat on the floor. Uh, there was a Mamba box sitting on top of the TV at Christmas. So I had one and did not remember it. Although I 100% remembered having a gyro Viper, which is ironic because now I have a Mamba and I have no gyro Viper, uh, because that was the missing part. Right. Uh, Cause I, <laughs> both, both of the ones we got were complete, all the missiles, uh, all the pieces, all the parts, but no pilot. So now I've, I've, we're both in search of a gyro viper. Uh, but I, I remember I got one off eBay. I, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I went I'm, I'm waiting it's for on, it's on the way. It should be here by Thursday. Okay, I'm I'm waiting for Joe Fest. I'm going to see if I can find one there. Uh, but this is, I mean, uh, first of all, purple, so right up my alley. But what's funny about it 
is well first of all it was 950 originally nine dollars and fifty cents i don't believe you at retail <laughs> uh, available 1987 to 1989 uh it's a great concept because it's so toyetic like you said the twin rotor blades and the twin detachable pods uh on either side of the central pilot pod like so awesome but there's really not that much to it. Like once you get to the body and the tail fin, it's just like a thin piece of plastic. It's not a particularly hefty or imposing vehicle, but the design is so cool and unique that it's just this striking piece. Uh, and oh, looking through the different media that it was portrayed in, my favorite thing that I found was a shot, a screenshot from the NES GI Joe game uh, of the Mamba over. I, I don't know if it's Flint or Dusty or who that's supposed to be, but it has a Gatling gun pointing straight down at the <laughs> character uh, underneath. Uh, and what's interesting is uh, the reason we feel so good about getting it for the price that we did is the propeller blades uh propeller blades can break the engine cover and exhaust ports are prone to loss uh the small levers for the bomb release tend to be missing as well as all the missiles and bombs to keeping track of all that like when i put this thing together i was like how many missiles can you possibly fit onto one freaking helicopter <laughs> the answer is a lot yeah yeah it's and uh funny enough the the types of helicopters that this is kind of based on often carry more missiles than the mamba does so, good uh, lord yeah so in in wow. real life there'll be copters that have like you know 30 missiles on them um yeah it, 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 and yes it is uh, beyond those kind of gimmicky features um the 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 three pods with the the escape pods which are are um they're really like if they're like containers of death if they launch because they're just They've got like a, a, a rocket on the back of them and no wings. Right. So, there's there's no way to steer these things. No, no. I, I'm pretty sure that Destro, when he was designing this thing, said like, eh, it's just a gyro viper. Well, in my in my head, well, no, in my head, the gyro viper is piloting it. And then there's a bat in either of the pods and they just send the pods down to the battlefield and the bats hop out and start killing everybody. There you go. There you go. That makes sense. Um. But, uh, but I love the low profile of it. Like it's sitting on my shelf yeah, and, it, yeah. and it's only like, I mean, it's like four inches tall for a vehicle that's mm. like 24 inches long. Uh, Christian, any, do you have any Mambaries? Uh, only <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, <laughs> when it came out, uh, even as a kid, I remember being a highly judgmental that it was just the G.I. Joe version of the Dark Side Destroyer. Mm, and that, that has always stuck with me. So it's it's never been a vehicle that I even thought about adding to my collection. So when the two of you had your your stories from that last convention about getting it, um, I, I keep looking at it and I'm still going, I don't quite get it, but good for everybody that does <laughs> it's not uh, you know i'm happy to have one and it is uh, you know I, I i keep going back to the word toyetic time and time again it is an incredibly toyetic toy it is not in my mind 
one of the essential Cobra vehicles. It's not probably in my top 10 Cobra vehicles, but it is a fantastic toy. I love things with multiple cockpits like this. Uh, and obviously all of the missiles and bombs and everything like make it even more fun. It's, it's just a, a, a unique piece that I'm happy to have. And like I said, it's purple. And apparently in some of the early uh, prototypes that they were mocking this up, uh, it looked a lot like Miles Mayhem's uh, vehicle from Mask. Ah, the uh, helicopter that turns into an airplane yes. for some reason. Yeah, so um, even I think some of the early art, because in, one of the things with this was, it was 87, um, there was no G.I. Joe cartoon anymore. All we had was the movie. And most of the 1987 vehicles are not in the movie because they had not been even designed by the time that they right. were working on the story. That's why you get very few 87 characters and very few 87 vehicles in the movie. So um, anything like that wasn't like you, you are advertised to as a kid. And if you're not seeing it in a cartoon, it's not something that you're immediately going to want to go out and buy. It was featured in the comics some um but it's just not quite the same like you yeah you 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 get you get to love your characters through the comics you get to love your vehicles through the animation it's kind of the way that it was for me so um but i but i did always want it because it was such a like such a unique looking vehicle compared to anything else that cobra had, had before and and i and i always loved helicopters so yeah i was a big helicopter fan too all right. Well, I think that wraps up Instruments of Destruction uh, for this month. It is time to move on. And now we go looking for those G.I. Joe figures that maybe didn't have uh, a toy back in the A Real American Hero era. Uh, so we are missing in action. So my pick for this time, he did have a toy, just not in the Real American Hero toy line. Uh, he actually was the very first villain for G.I. Joe uh, back in the Adventure Team era, and I'm talking about 1976, The Intruders. Introducing The Intruders, stone men from another world. The Intruder is the enemy of G.I. Joe. There's Eagle Eye G.I. Joe with moving eyes. The Intruder rushes Joe, but you can counter with Joe's Kung Fu grip, and you can make them battle. Imagine who's going to win. The intruder is the enemy of G.I. Joe. A quick flip and you can make Joe get the intruder right where you want him. But you can imagine they'll meet again. The intruders, strong men from another world and eagle eye G.I. Joe with moving eyes, each sold separately. So these were, they <laughs> look like. I'm sorry, wait. You, you left out <laughs> the intruders, strong, strong men, men from another from world. world. <laughs> well, so that's so they look like cavemen wearing a singlet, uh, but they were aliens from another world, a meteorite 
crashes on Earth, and these caveman-looking aliens come out who are super strong, and they just want to destroy G.I. Joe. Um, So this is the same era when Eagle Eye G.I. Joe came out. So, um, you know, gimmicks and action features were a thing. And the intruder had uh, crushing action, which looked more like a bear hug type thing. Honestly, when you, even for the the mid seventies, it is a goofy looking toy. However, seeing as how he was the first actual villain in a G.I. Joe toy line, and he was an alien from, or they, because there were two, aliens from another planet, I am surprised that as G.I. Joe headed more into space in the early 90s, and we were getting actual alien figures, that he was never revisited as a foe for the G.I. Joe team. <clears throat> and I'm I'm specific, blah, specifically talking about when you look at the the manimal figures, uh, the alien figures uh, for the mega marines. Yeah. That's kind of the scale that I was thinking in. Just a larger, oversized figure, limit. You know, five points of articulation. You know, you didn't need all of the the super articulation that the Joe figures had, but what a great way to honor that GI Joe history. Um, I, I could see with just a little bit of updating him fitting in with like the bio Viper, like that scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, cause it looks like, and from the pictures I'm seeing, they were a little bit shorter than the 12 inch GI Joe figures. Yeah. They were. So they're probably about eight inches tall. Yeah. And when I think about the crazy type of figures that G.I. Joe was putting out in the 90s, again, not just like the Space Joes, but by that point, you know, they're doing cuss, they're they're doing the bodies for the street fighter figures, like you know. Again, the aliens for the Mega Marines. You had the Star Brigade figures. I just feel like he would have fit in so well. Yeah. Um, and and it, it would have been a selling point. And for me, anytime we can get more uh, figures added to the Beard Brigade, I am all, all for it. Yeah. I, uh, well, what's weird about this is the when, when I, because I, maybe these have come across my awareness before, but I didn't remember when you said this at all. And when I first saw the image, the first thing I thought of was masters of the universe as far as the look of them. But this predates that by six years. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I could be mistaken, but I do believe masters of the universe was the first line to have that style, that squatty, look but these guys came first yeah it's kind of interesting it and when you look at the sculpt of the original figures just because there isn't a lot to the sculpt it kind of reminds me of a stretch armstrong yeah 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 like this pro magnon kind of ape head 
Um, you know, I've seen when I decided that this was the figure that I, I wanted to do, um, there are people that have tried to do customs of him. I, 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 and I see of the those ones that attempts. I saw, yeah, are, are very, I mean, good job custom wise, but to fit that kind of, this figure should be, even if he's not as tall as Joe, should be bulky and, and strong. Um, and nobody's really pulled it off. Uh, so, I, I, I've just in my brief research here tonight have discovered, if you'll recall, in the early days of Audible Imelude, we decided we were going to review a certain Rob Liefeld comic. Yes. Called Dead Game. And apparently yes. before, after we quit reading it, uh, the intruders does, show up. Yes. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Issue three, uh, apparently both Bullet Man and the intruders show up. Whoa. Correct. I, I, did, I did continue reading it because it's on um, Comixology Unlimited, so it's free. Oh, okay. Um, and... Ugh, ugh, I, <laughs> I'm having a hard time articulating... The words because I can't believe it's going to come out of my mouth, but the st- the the style of the intruder actually suits itself to it, Liefeld's artwork. It does. There's a picture uh, on CVR I'm looking at right now, and that that body style works just perfectly for that character. <laughs> the rest of the Joes, no. But when I got to that page, uh, I got very excited. Now the bullet man okay. in the in the in the panel I'm looking at below does not look good. No, <laughs> no. But the intruder with you know odd proportions, oversized arms, the Liefeld style works really really well for him. So um, I oh yeah wow yeah I would even be interested in seeing an update of him into. The classics line. It's if, it's basically if we ever got there. It's basically bad rock. If anybody remembers young yeah. boy. Uh yeah, this was a great pick because I like I said, this was not anywhere in my normal day-to-day consciousness. And w- what an interesting, like it's so simple and goofy looking, and yet I see so much potential with this basic design mm-hmm. how interesting like you like you just were saying how interesting would a classified version of this be <laughs> if you could yeah if you updated him um even with the crow magnon look and and added a few more alien features on him to make it very apparent that he is alien um I don't know. I, I just see this really cool sci-fi twist. Or or put him in it. the O-ring line. Or or oh, do yeah. a let Super Seven do a reaction version. Oh man. I mean, there there are a lot of interesting possibilities in different formats for for this uh, deceptively simple design. Well, this is a great pick. Any any further thoughts about the intruders? Which, by the way, there were. You mentioned there were two varieties. There's the commander. Yes. And the, what is the other one called? Is he just the intruder? Uh, let me look here. It's it's not super easy to find 
a singular source of information about these. See that? Yeah. The page that I have, um, it just lists that they're, you know, the intruders, there was an intruder commander who has the beard and then it just says the other one has a clean shaven face. So I don't know if they mean that it was also called an intruder commander or if it was just called the intruder. But really all that matters is they are strong men from another <laughs> world. <laughs> awesome pick Christian. Well, let's uh, let's move along to the next segment. It is time for Knowing is Half the Babble, where we each get to talk about anything we want for as long as we want. Three more hours of podcast. How does everybody feel about that? No, absolutely not. I'm going to kick this thing off. I already touched on my babble a little bit earlier. Uh, I will say it again. Mint on card, mint on box collectors. You're collecting boxes. What's the difference in having a picture of a figure on a box and having a figure you'll never, ever touch inside a box? You guys might as well go buy some NFTs while you're at it. <laughs> Christian, what you got? Oh, man, that's so hard to follow up. I, that was harsh, and I'd like, to, I'd like to lay it out there. Christian and Noel are not involved with my opinions whatsoever. That is mine and direct your ire and your wrath purely at me, Phantom Troublemaker on Twitter. So whenever you're done uh, enjoying all of the audible interlude uh, social media and the Needless Things YouTube channel, if you are interested in learning more or seeing more about the adventure era of uh, G.I. Joe, then the Plaid Stallions website has a YouTube channel called Brick Mantooth. Not only do they have commercials of most of the Adventure Team era G.I. Joes, but he also has figure breakdowns um, of different ones, including the intruder. Um, so if you ever wanted to see his power hug action, uh, you can. So be sure and check that out. Noel, what's your babble? So for mine, uh, I actually just uploaded something into our chat for the the other folks that are uh, on tonight. Oh boy! Um, so I, uh, as I mentioned a little while back, I recently got a GI Joe headquarters, and uh, of course, it's a challenge because it's a very large toy. It takes up a, a large bit of real estate. Uh, obviously, I, I'm not going to have room for the flag. This is about as large as I'm going to get as far as the sprawling scale goes. So uh, I saw somebody mentioning this. And one thing I've always had a problem with that G.I. Joe uh, headquarters is that the, the, it has a prison cell that any idiot could just crawl out of the top of. <laughs> so someone mentioned that the helipad is designed to go on top of the prison cell. And I said, <laughs> I don't believe you. And I still don't believe them but it kind of works. It's not, and, I wouldn't say it's designed to go up there, but no, it, no, no. 
it's certainly not designed to go there. There is an antenna that is in the way of making it like really snugly fit. Oh yeah, yeah. But it certainly does kind of tie the thing together a little bit. It does resolve the whole uh, prison uh prison cell uh, uh reality <laughs> aspect of it and it also uh now frees up an extra couple of square feet right um, right so uh, so yeah that's that's a picture of my hq that i um that i recently adapted to uh to have my my dragonfly sitting on top of it and uh i think it works uh works pretty well in that idea so if you if you have an hq and you're struggling on that uh, that helipad taking up a little extra space um, stick it on top of your jail. And uh, now you've got a nice functional uh, helipad on the roof of your HQ. And I'll say this. It certainly looks like somebody stuck the helipad on top of the jail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys, uh, we've done it again. I'd like to remind everybody that our music is by Andy Samford of electricminnowmusic.com. You can follow us on Instagram at audible interlude podcast on Twitter at GI Joe audible. If you'd like to yell at me personally, because you collect mint on card or mint in box, you can follow phantom troublemaker on Twitter. I certainly won't ignore you. Uh, Christian, why don't you tell us where we can find those wonderful pictures of yours? Yes, you can find my toy photography on Instagram and Flickr.com under the name Legion Cub. And Noel, you want to tell us about the finest? Sure. Uh, the finest is an international G.I. Joe, Cobra, October Guard, Dreadnoughts, whatever faction you like, costume club uh, that uh, often appears at conventions, raising money for a great organization called Canines for Warriors. So if you uh, see us at a con, uh, make sure to drop by donate a few dollars and uh, also if you ever thought about uh, putting on a gi joe costume uh we are always looking for new recruits to help us uh, help us raise that money so i uh, would love to see you out and you guys have lots of resources to help people put those gi joe costumes together yes yes there are field guides that are on the finestcc.com where you can uh get all the details on how to put together a Cobra Trooper or Officer or Viper or Crimson Guard or uh, even a few other face characters. Well, guys, thank you so much for sitting down and talking about G.I. Joe again. Listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, we couldn't do it without you. If you'd like to leave us a review, do that wherever you listen to your podcasts. And as always, Yo Joe! Cobra. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.